0: But immediately after every single round was done, I was like, what just happened? And it felt like I had like blacked out everything.
1: Hey, you're 86. I'm Justin Myers, and this is a show about how bartenders handle bad situations. Welcome back. I hope 2020 is treating you well so far. Ever thought about competitive bartending? It can be an amazing way to learn new skills and move forward in your career. But it's not without its challenges, some you may not expect. My guest today is Jessie Lorraine. She's the winner of the most recent Speed Rack competition in California. That's the all-female high-speed bartending competition, which supports breast cancer research. She's competed in other competitions as well, and she also manages Elda, where we recorded this interview. Let's get into it.
0: For a really great cause, and so it's it's a really easy thing to want to champion.
1: Nice. So, what what first got you interested in competitive bartending? Uh, uh, as again, speed rack is very different kind of competition. But how did so you first get interested in? I think doing my that?
0: first, like the first reason I entered a competition or, or doing competitive bartending was just like a challenge for myself. The thing that I always tell people about competitions is that. They can be really valuable educational experiences. Uh, A lot of different ones push you to either learn new cocktails or learn new techniques or challenge yourself in ways that you haven't before and and in turn make you a better bartender. And then also like completely honestly, like it's really great to win free trips places. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I've been on a, um, a handful of like free trips that I've gotten to do and, you know, getting to go places like... Scotland or Puerto Rico or things like that it's it's a really awesome way to kind of get to travel and see distilleries and and experience different parts of of the industry in the
1: world. Nice so that's actually one of the things I wanted to ask was um what what do you take away from competitive bartending and bring back to your uh, career your day-to-day life behind the bar?
0: So it definitely depends on the specific competition but I think in a big way, I have, I always try to pay attention whenever I'm involved in a, like a, some sort of competition and that, am I seeing things that are new to me in terms of cocktails or in terms of technique or in terms of organization or style? Mm-hmm. And if I encounter anything that is new to me, I try to see if there's ways I can incorporate this into my own personal style or into the organization of of my staff or into how I educate other bartenders and how I train people that I work with. Um, There's a lot of really cool things I've picked up over the years from either being in a competition or just like seeing competitions. And I think there can be a lot of value to competitions in that respect. The other side of it is that I always say about competition bartending, I definitely think it's something that should be taken with a grain of salt. Um, I think there's a lot of really positive aspects to competition bartending, but there's also the atmosphere of i think sometimes on the cocktail side of the industry people get a little distracted by competition bartending and they don't i think it should always be something that comes second to prioritizing like your hospitality and and Mm -hmm. taking care of people in your own bar and so i that's kind of like my overall like synopsis of it
1: Mm. so what about speed racks specifically it's a speed bartending competition but i've heard it's um kind of a different approach than a busy Friday night Um, but do you learn some of those those techniques that do they help you when you're like slammed at the bar
0: absolutely so speed rack is something that um, I always tell to any any woman and honestly anybody in the industry who's really interested in making themselves a better bartender um, technique wise speed wise efficiency wise and just like understanding classics even if like women or not I always try to incorporate any barbacks any male bartenders any um you know any non-gendered or various gendered bartenders who want, are interested in doing that I always love including them if they're interested in training for speed rack because not just for women it's such a incredibly valuable challenging approach to honing your skills basically so I definitely would say that it is a there's a there's slight different approaches than you that you would take in speed rack versus like a Friday night shift but honestly it's of any competition that I've encountered it's the most it's the most like realistic representation of of what you'd be like building rounds and approaching efficiency in a bar and it's one of the things that I always tell women when I've trained them or something that I kind of have as a personal philosophy for how to approach the competition is you shouldn't do things that you're not comfortable doing in your own bar on a busy night. And that's one of the biggest ways to be successful. So in terms of what the competition can give to you or challenge you to make you a better bartender, because every single year that I've done it, it has made me better mm. in, in so many different ways. So you learn, they, they always give you a list of about 75 classic cocktails. And so in a very easy one, the first time I did speed rock, I was 25, so four years ago. And I encountered a lot of classic cocktails that I had never made before. And so going through that process of researching the history of these cocktails, learning the ingredients that go into these cocktails, understanding, you know, specs that you could find and maybe building your own spec for what you think is the best version of this cocktail is like a great like self-education and um, at the time, the first time I did Speed Rack, I was the bar manager at Absinthe, and I had just started at Absinthe, and I encountered cocktails I had never made before because I was I'd been bartending for like three and a half, four years at that point. And, you know, I had never made a Morning Glory fizz, or mm. I would never really made a Hotel National. And so trying to understand those classic cocktails, and there's there's been plenty of cocktails that I was introduced to by Speed Rack for the first time that have made their way onto menus that I've put up or versions of those onto menus or things that I've made for guests. Hmm. So that's a really big one for sure.
1: Nice. Let's talk about the training itself a little bit. What goes into that process? Oh,
0: it's so methodical. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of, it's a lot of work and it's something that I really love sharing with other people. Um, But so the way that I, the way that I train and the way that I share to train with other women, uh, the last two years specifically, I've gotten to train a lot of really cool women for speed rack. And the process is um, I'm a very like I I I believe that I'm a very, very organized bartender in general and a very organized like industry person. And so I I try to make the training for it as organized as possible. And everything kind of has a reason. And so they give you so they give you the list of 75 ish cocktails that you're supposed to know that they can call on stage. But they do a preliminary round before the on stage portion that all the public sees and then that preliminary round they give you six cocktails of which they'll choose four and so the the women who make it on stage are the top 8 uh, that do it the fastest for those preliminary cocktails so it's slightly different for the prelims and it's not 100% quality focused, but there are there is a structure to it and so in order to train for that i basically I figure out there's 15 possible rounds for if you're doing four out of six cocktails and you map out every single one of those 15 rounds, how you would set up your bottle, how, how you would set up your glassware, in what order you're pulling your bottles. Um, I definitely always recommend free pouring for prelims. San Francisco, I've never seen somebody make it into the top eight jigger pouring. Uh, I have seen it in Portland or not mm-hmm. Portland, Seattle, because uh, I've, I've helped with other speed racks around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the bigger markets like New York, San Francisco, Chicago, it's near impossible to be able to make it or be fast enough to make that top eight jigger pouring for a prelim. So free pouring for sure and mapping out those rounds. And then once you've kind of mapped out those rounds, I always do it on index cards. We... If I'm training by myself or with other women, we will set up our bar with everything we need and then we will basically make separate cards that have the possible rounds and then we time ourselves. and so you get three minutes to set up, which having that index card basically makes it so that you take all the thinking out of the process and you just go. So you set up your bar really fast, you get everything ready and then you go through the motions of making that round as fast as possible. So the goal is always less than 50 seconds for a preliminary round and you're making four cocktails. But again, you don't have to like, it doesn't have to be a perfectly balanced drink. It definitely has to taste like what it's supposed to taste and have all the ingredients in it. And it doesn't have to be, you know, we're not fine straining, we're not, mm. um, we're shaking a little bit shorter and stirring a little bit shorter than we normally would. But all the mechanics of being able to round, bolt, round builder there And so we basically will go through those. Um, I I always say, never give yourself a second chance to do a round because you're not going to have a second chance in the competition. So in that way, we're training ourselves to be able to recover from mistakes if we make them and keep things going and not give up if like one thing goes out of place. And then so that's kind of what we do for prelims and then for. The rest of the competition, because if anybody who hasn't seen Speed Rack, the quality is super important and it's impossible to do well in that competition if you're not making great drinks. Mm -hmm. Um, We go through and and I mean, this is something I've gotten the opportunity to do over the last four years for most of the cocktails. But we go through, we make all the cocktails with the (sighs) brands that are sponsoring Speed Rack so that we know what they taste like. Like if you're they use Liber and co grenadine right now, which is a very specific flavor grenadine, it's a little bit sweeter than maybe a small hands. Mm -hmm. And how would you change your spec if you're making a Presidente with that grenadine versus like a small hands food grenadine or whatever you use in your own bar. So we'll go through those 75 cocktails, make all those cocktails, fine tune the specs, make sure we're recording our specs and studying them if you don't know those cocktails. Um, And then just understanding small things like in basically nuances of technique that you would maybe switch out that you wouldn't do in normal service. So one of the things that I do in speed rack that I don't do in my normal service is I'll always ice first, where Mm. in normal service, I ice last. And that's, it's something that I always say is like, don't do anything that you wouldn't consider good bartending. But the reason I would ice last in service is because if I get called away from building around and I need to help a guest, I'm not walking away to ice melting in the tin. But when you're in speed rack, uh, all you have to do is make those four drinks as fast as possible. So if you get that ice in there first, it helps you start diluting the drink a little bit quicker and then you don't have to shake as long. So you're shaving a second off there. Mm. The same with, um, that's a really big one. One of my new favorite techniques that, um, actually a good friend of mine who won Speed Rack DC last year, she taught me is when you set up for an egg white cocktail, uh, this year at Speed Rack, I had to make an egg white cocktail every single round, which I was like, <laughs> oh, great. Man. This is super fun. Oh. Um, but so she taught me, she's, you set up one tin or you set up two small tins and one big tin. And then when you ice, you put your ice in one and then you build it in the other so that you can dry shake. And then instead of having to scoop ice, you just dry shake, pop that off and then put the ice that the tin that has the ice in right on. And then Mm. you're saving yourself a second there.
1: Fewer movements. Exactly. Nice. So there's so many different variables, so many different uh, Mm -hmm. dimensions. It seems like you really... The competition really kind of forces you to focus on every aspect Absolutely. of your movement behind the bar. Uh how much time does it does it take to to prepare for the competition? When do you start training and, and how often do you do all this to just to think about all these things?
0: I think that uh numbers different for every person that does it, but I could tell you there has been Years where I spent more time doing it and years where I spent last, less time, we had about a month to prepare this year when they told uh, sent the email at letting everybody know who got in. And uh, my friend Irene, who works at ABV, who actually got the wild card this year, I have trained her the last two years, and she's like my baby. She's one of the <laughs> coolest women I know. We work three doors down from each other, which is a total dream. But we um, pretty much always practice together, and the number of times we practice. So usually we'll practice for at least two hours. And um, we didn't get to practice the first week that we knew because I was at a, well, I I didn't because I was out of town, but we practice two to four times a week for a couple hours at a time. And that's specifically on prelims because it takes a lot to map out and understand It takes a lot of practice to be able to make four cocktails in less than 50 seconds and feel confident going into this like very high pressure, intense situation where you're put on the Mm -hmm. spot and you have to do this. And so that alone, I mean, if you add it up, we probably spend like at least somewhere between 30 to 50 hours practicing for prelims. And then uh, the rest of it is kind of on your own. I have the benefit that I've, been involved with speed rack for the last four years so a lot of my experience has been built over time Mm -hmm. um I haven't like this year I didn't have to go through all the cocktails and figure out specs for them because I've done that before and so I have it's it's a it's actually like one of the things that I think was very uh, a big bonus for me is you get this list of 75 cocktails and I looked over it and I think there was two cocktails I couldn't tell you how to make off the top of my head and That's, again, too, just, like, being an experienced bartender. So when I was 25 and I had never encountered, like, a Bensonhurst. Now when they're like, oh, we might call it Bensonhurst, I'm like, cool, I can make that for you right now. Mm. And so it's, there's a lot of uh, focused, specific training for speed rack, but there's also a lot of passive training. So. Honestly, I always say to women who do it for the first time or women who have done it a bunch of times, like take every single service well shift that you have is training for Speed Rack. Like how could you make yourself faster and more efficient but still make perfect cocktails for your guest? What are things you could do to set yourself up? Like a really easy one is... Um, whenever I I work on round building or teaching round building and you're making multiple cocktails at one time, if you have two cocktails with lemon juice, like, are you putting lemon juice in one and then setting your bottle down? Or are you making sure you're putting that ingredient in every tin that needs it? And so that's a really big one in terms of like passive passive practices is very real. I, after the first time I did speed rack, I was constantly thinking about how to make myself faster, how to make myself more efficient, especially working somewhere like Absinthe, where absinthe is the most intense service wall I've ever worked. In what way? Um, they, you know, they do on busy nights like 450 covers, and we'll do an insane amount of sales with two bartenders. Wow! And I've never, I've never worked somewhere where um, they put out the amount of the number of cocktails they do with the number, like the ratio of bartenders working to to amount of cocktails we put out. It's like It's a really funny, uh, drastic difference to like, you know, working at Elden being the bar manager here is whenever people like, Oh, how is it? And I'm like, even on our busiest night, I'm like the way our (laughs) service is set up, the way our walls are set up. I'm like, this is a, we're coasting. Like we have all the time in the world to take care of people. And it's different when you have like, you know, you'll have a hundred to 200 people at any given time in a restaurant and then 18 seats at your bar. And you have to make cocktails for the service while at Absinthe. They usually cover like the first four seats of the bar, four to five, mm-hmm. and then every single person in the restaurant. And people <laughs> drink there. yeah. And yeah. so, and it's a lot of, the the cool thing that is like being able to work in a bar like that is you make a lot of classic cocktails. So you get the opportunity to fine tune classic cocktails and learn new classic cocktails where um, working, like when I, I opened Bon Voyage, they do such a specialized menu that you don't get a lot yeah. of, classics called. And so, um, not so much for me, but for like a younger bartender learning a lot of this stuff, it's not as easy to learn a lot of, um, like deep classics there just because mostly everybody's ordering off the menu and the menu cocktails are all these very specific, specialized, like Mm -hmm. exciting cocktails. And that's just kind of like the, again, passive, passive training.
1: Mm. So was there a moment where you, in this process of of this competition where you felt like you like really hit a stride where you're like, all right, I've got this now. And, and I'm ready. Yeah. I
0: would say yes and no. Um, it's such a intense adrenaline rush being on that stage. And I think I have the, uh, the advantage of, I'm really good at blocking stuff out, Mm. (laughs) but I, so specifically for this year, I, the very first year I did Speed Rack, I made it to the final round and then lost by a couple seconds to Alicia Walton, who is a queen and a good friend of mine. And I said I was it was my first time I'd never seen Speed Rack. And after going through that process, I was like, holy shit, I can do this. Like I can win this competition. This is something that not just like made me feel great, but propped me up as a bartender, made me a better bartender. I was like, I wanna do this and I'm gonna I'm gonna win this competition and over the course of the last couple of years of doing it the biggest difference that i made this year is that i free poured everything and that's something that i always tell people training for it is like that's something you should only do if you're really really good at it and you would confidently serve a guest a cocktail you free poured at your own bar and mm. i started bartending free pouring it's something that i feel really confident in and it worked to my advantage. And so in the process of doing that this year, I didn't feel like I hit a stride until after they had told me I had won each round because (laughs) in doing that and my adrenaline's going and I'm counting my pores in my head, I actually counted them out loud a little bit, not to just not to not mess myself up. But immediately after every single round was done, I was like, what just happened mm. and it felt like i had like blacked out everything and i feel like that's a common thing for a lot of women who do speed rack is you do it and it's such an intense adrenaline rush and you're moving as fast as you can and trying to be controlled and then you get off that stage and you're like did i even put bitters in that rob roy
1: like cuz the whole thing's over in less than a minute right
0: it's no it's on stage it's usually i'd say like the majority of like really good rounds uh, pop out at about two minutes mm-hmm. and you're usually getting, you're getting a little bit more complicated cocktails as the competition goes on throughout the night. But you, it's the difference too between prelims and the onstage rounds is that they expect your cocktails on stage to be perfect. That's mm-hmm. not the expectation with prelims. So you're able to mm-hmm. do it in a much shorter time and you're making usually a little bit simpler cocktails where, you know, I had an egg white cocktail every single round. The, Final round, I made a Ramos Gin Fizz, which was <laughs> oh not God. a part of the deck for Speed Rack. Wow. <laughs> which is actually an advantage to me because...
1: <laughs> I love how that cocktail is just like the joke of the bartending world. I think know? it's
0: a, <laughs> it's like a joke and a secret love. So, like, I love a good Ramos. I oh, love yeah, a good fizz. <laughs> like, It's so good. It's so fun. But it's a pain in the ass to make. And so um, I actually talked to the judge who called that cocktail... Uh, later that night because we did the after party at alda Mm -hmm. and i was like hey uh what the fuck was up with the ramos gin fizz that's not even in the deck and he's like here's the deal you guys are supposed to be the best bartenders at the top at the top level doing this competition he's like i want you guys to make the most difficult drinks and i was like you know what i won speed rack i'm not going to (laughs) complain that was a dick move but i respect it um but it's Uh, it's one of those things too where like I think my time for the final round they gave you two in the final round they give you two dealer's choice cocktails which is like a whole nother ballpark of things to think about and had a Ramos and I still finished in just about two minutes Mm. and it wasn't a perfect Ramos it didn't have you know the lift above the glass which I think actually I ended up tasting it after and it tasted fantastic but really hard to do in two minutes yeah totally <laughs> near impossible totally. so that was uh again a thing that in terms of thinking about speed rack is like where would you make sacrifices to how you're making these drinks in terms of like what they're going to penalize you so i don't remember what i got penalized for that i don't i don't think it was more than 10 seconds they do five second increments mm-hmm. but again that 10 seconds is a lot easier than me spending an extra minute on that cocktail to make it perfect. Right. And so that's, that's definitely something to think There's about in terms of the competition. But so it's usually, I'd say like really good rounds, like between a minute 45 and two minutes is like where you really want to be for like the fastest, uh, the same. If you go to nationals, you'll see, you know, you see the best of every city and most of those rounds are coming in at about two minutes or under but it's it's pretty rare to be able to make, you know, four really perfect cocktails in less than a minute and a half.
1: Mm. Let's talk about being on stage, whether it's Speed Rack or the other kinds of uh, like Picardi Legacy or the other competitions. Like what, what is that like? What is it like to walk on the stage with the lights and the judges and how do you handle yourself?
0: It is uh, one of the best and worst feelings, specifically Speed Rack, just because being able to be on stage in front of hundreds of your peers and they're basically like, we're here to support women and we're excited to watch you and we're proud where other competitions, I think sometimes you get a more, a little bit more of like a, a judgmental or, or negatively competitive vibe because there's definitely a competitive vibe at Speed Rack. But walking onto a stage, you look out, you generally will see... Especially it being in San Francisco, like my mom's always right in the front (laughs) and super pumped. And then I'll see my friends and my coworkers and my bosses were there. And like that amount of love and support you feel is like it's it's a pretty unmatched feeling like it feels really awesome. And then at the same time, you're also feeling completely horrified because you're trying to focus and there's 600 people yelling <laughs> and you're like, please stop every, you're like, can you, everybody just be quiet? Because I'm trying to think about making this, whatever cocktail they give you. You're like, I need to make a Clover club and you guys are all yelling stuff at me, but it's actually a great, again, a great exercise of like if you work in a high volume bar on a Saturday night and there's a lot of chaos, like how do you zone that out and focus on the cocktails in your wall? So especially lot, when you're around building a hundred percent, and that's an easy one, too, where um, absence is always a great example because on a busy night they'll have, you know, anywhere from like six to eight servers on the floor and if you're in the service well, you have eight people coming up to you trying to ask you questions and like, how do you keep making those cocktails and answer these questions for your servers and make sure you're taking care of the guests in front of you? So it's a little bit of that same, you know, mental organization and being able to multitask. Multitasking is, is such an important skill to be able to be successful in it mm. and being on stage is like basically a completely extreme version of a service while on a busy, like on the busiest night you've ever had. Mm. So yeah, just it's, it's, it's euphoric and it's like a lot of adrenaline and it's terrifying mm. all at the same time.
1: You mentioned the, uh, your, your other friends that are competing and, are competing uh, what is a community the competition community like? The and
0: community is one of the most special uh, versions of the bar community that you could ever experience. So I um, I have made a, a lot of friends through Speed Rack around the country. Um, I, I got the opportunity to go to nationals the first year because I got the wild card vote, and I made some really incredible friends um, doing that. And then just through various industry things I've done the, over the year, I have my friend who won DC, she and I have been friends for a while before that, but it was this really great thing that we got to communicate and, you know, train a little bit together over FaceTime and she won, she won DC last year and she's just like a super amazing powerhouse woman. And so it's just like this really beautiful culture of women supporting women, which is, I think something that you don't see in a lot of other competitions where, uh, and a lot of other competitions that I've seen or experienced as a competitor, it's more of a each man on their own vibe. Mm-hmm. And in speed rackets we're all doing this together mm-hmm. kind of situation. And it's it's a really great one, too, because to make the top eight in any in any city or even for nationals, you're not really competing against other people. You're competing against yourself. So you're not going up there and doing it at the same time as another person you're doing it by yourself and trying to get the best time you could possibly get. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a really supportive, uh, really amazing environment. Um, it's one of the things that I really love, especially for the culture that we have in San Francisco and how speed rack has kind of developed over the years. You have like, I hosted (laughs) trainings at Elda and a handful of women came, uh, Nikki, who's the beverage director for Foreign Cinema, she hosted a bunch of trainings there and opened her doors to people who wanted to come and train. You have former speed rat queens like Mary Palick and Helen Diaz, who, who don't even live in San Francisco. They live about an hour away, each of them, and would come up to the city to help girls out and train them and give them advice. And that kind of culture of, uh, that supportive culture and that culture of women supporting women, I think that's And a big part why Speed Rack has hit such a, a, such a chord with people and had so much success because it's really something that I joke, I'm like, it's really cool to win Speed Rack, but what you get out of Speed Rack, all the things that come with it is so much better than winning. Like Mm -hmm. winning is cool and now I get to go on fun trips and I'm super competitive. So that's a (laughs) bonus, but I've gotten so much more than that out of being a part of this program and it's, it's really like, it's, it's unmatched
1: seems like it really helps strengthen the community as a whole uh, in in our industry. Um, What would you say is the most challenging component of it? Or maybe there's something that, a challenge that surprised you the most and how did you tackle that?
0: Um, I have an interesting, you know, sets of experiences with it because I've done it a handful of times. Um, I think one of the things that has been most challenging uh is really figuring out how figuring out the the best approach to speed rack so I feel like it's 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 pretty rare that a woman enters speed rack like obviously except for the first year but enters speed rack and wins their regional let alone their national on the first try just because it is such a The more analytical, the more calculated you can be in your approach to how you do things, the better success you usually have. And it's one of those things that it's hard to understand every facet of it until you've experienced it. But I think for me, um, just basically, basically the approach of finding what the best approach is. So for this year, having a big thing for me was having the confidence and like the guts to free pour everything because I knew that I, I was able to, I really felt that I was able to win and succeed that way because I was just like, you know what, I free pour like a motherfucker. I'm super fast. I know I can make great drinks doing this. I've been doing this for seven years. Just having that confidence to do it on stage and keep yourself focused and be able to count your pours properly and not be messed up by, you know, the 600 people yelling at you or the fact that there's a camera and a spotlight on you mm-hmm. and people running around behind you. And so I think it's definitely something where I always say generally all the women that make the top eight, any one of them could win speed rack. Mm-hmm. Like they're all super talented. A, a lot of the women that don't make the top eight could win speed rack, they're all super talented. And I think getting getting to that point and getting to be a part of the competition, it's generally a bunch of super, super talented women. <sighs> And it just depends on how you prepare and how you the approach you take to it. So thinking about things like really understanding how to think about things like if I'm going to, you know, make this fizz exactly perfect and what kind of time that will cost me. Um, if, whether I'm gonna free pour or, or jigger pour. And honestly, I got I got less less penalties this year free pouring than I have when I've been jigger pouring. So it's kind of like, it's whatever way the wind blows. So like kind of figuring that out is super challenging. Um, year, year one is always the most challenging. I, year one I was in the private dining room at Absinthe by myself, trying to figure out this competition, watching videos online, and mm-hmm. gear myself up with like our wine director, like telling me how great I am and supporting me. And like doing that by by yourself is super challenging. So it's it's really great having a whole team of women to do this with now.
1: Mm. How do you balance training for this competition with working at a bar and managing a bar and your day-to-day life?
0: So the way that I always set up trainings um, is I always do it before a shift so that it's easy to just come in two hours early and before you work. And again, it's a, it's a really great benefit of having like, we have an upstairs bar at Elda called Cheekies that we only use for private events. It's the same when Irene and I practice at ABV; they have their upstairs mm-hmm. bar overproof. Um, or if I'm opening, coming in before work, so that is a really added bonus. Not a lot of women have that kind of um, that available to them. And in the same breath, there's a lot of women who don't have super supportive bosses. And so we definitely uh, included. We always try to include as many people as possible, whether they have the resources or don't because I know that there are, I've heard plenty of stories about women wanting to be a part of this thing and and their bosses not being supportive of it all, which is a little bit heartbreaking. Mm.
1: Why do you think they wouldn't be supportive? Um,
0: Sexism is real. Yeah. um, For sure. I think that, you know, it's not to throw stones at anybody, but it's generally male bosses. And in the same uh, breath, there are a lot of people who have... Uh, their own opinions have formed of competition bartending and which I think like there's a lot of it that's just, but specifically with speed rack, I think speed rack is definitely uh, away from the norm of, of normal competitive bartending. And Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've worked for some real crazies at the beginning of my career and Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, some real it's an interesting thing about the industry is that it attracts so many great people, but it also attracts very problematic people because it's the booze industry and it's a very social industry, and and that's usually the case. And um, I have the I have the really awesome benefit of ha- working for people who absolutely love and support me and would do anything that I needed to like help me find success, whether they thought it was important or not. Um, but that's not the case. A lot of a lot of people have owners or bosses that aren't invested in, you know, the personal growth of their staff and it it's can be motivated by different things. But I think a lot of the times there is a lot of ego in this industry. So usually it's like a, just, you know, some people are selfish.
1: Yeah. And do you think things like speed rack are helping to change that?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. I, in the, in the last four years now that I've been involved with speed rack, I've seen the culture of Ch- San Francisco change where, you know, 10 years ago, when there started being you know more than a handful of cocktail bars i mean i was i wasn't in bars yet um at that point but you know you hear the stories of not to call anybody out but when bourbon and branch first opened they didn't have female bartenders and there was a culture of women were cocktail servers and that's something that was prevalent for a long time in san francisco and i think it's actually one of the really cool stories that i love Um, ivy mix who's one of the founders she came up with the idea for Speed Rack in San Francisco. And she I remember her, she told this story to us once, of it came up as an idea because she was, I think she was on a boat, I might be wrong, with this brand doing this brand thing, and they told her like, hey, we'd really love uh, to get more women involved, but we don't know any good female bartenders. And she was like, how do you not know good female bartenders? There's so many of them. But people just weren't giving opportunities to women yeah. in on the cocktail side of the industry. And so you fast forward now to, you know, I think Bourbon and Branch has been open for like 10, 11 years. Their GM is a woman. They've had numerous women bartenders through there now. And Speedrack has had a huge, huge impact on, and I can say this specifically for San Francisco, like I, I think it's had a huge impact on the way people view women bartenders and view women in this industry because it gives it, a it gives this amazing platform to prop up really great bartenders and to teach women and to bring them together. And, and a very visible platform. Oh, it's a very visible platform and and b it's on it's, I I don't know for sure but it seems like the most attended industry event that happens in San Francisco every year. Like I don't know another brand event or compet- definitely not a competition where hundreds and hundreds of people will come and oh. pay to get in, nonetheless, because all yeah. of them are free. You got to pay to get into Speed Rack. And I mean, all of it goes to charity, but it's, that's, I think that's one of the big differences. And yeah. it's, you know, you get 600 bartenders and barbacks and industry people in a room every year to see how great women bartenders are. And it leaves a lasting impression.
1: That's really wonderful. So how how did you get started, and maybe what do you recommend for someone that wants to get started in competitive bartending, particularly speed rack?
0: Um, you just gotta sign up. Um, I I was actually in uh, Dallas a couple days ago, and a really awesome uh, bartender friend of mine lives there, and I was visiting her, and they had a a speed rack prep meeting. They haven't nobody's gotten into speed rack, but like for women who have either signed up or want to sign up. And uh, I talked to them a little bit about, you know, what the benefits of doing this and how to get involved. And it's very it's very scary. And there's also like that there's there's definitely an approach of self-worth or like I've met women who are like, oh, I don't think I'm good enough to do it or I don't think I'm fast enough or I don't think I'm there yet. Um, I always say to people, whether you think you can win the competition or not sign up because you're going to, in the process of training for it, if you take it seriously, you're going to make yourself an exponentially better bartender than you were before you started it. And so signing up is the first step. And I always say to people when they're like, how do I get in or picked? Is you just have to write a really great, like take it seriously, write a really great heartfelt application. And they, it'll be noticed. Uh, The first year that I did Speedrack, I remember I'd never met Ivy and Lynette before the founders. And when I met Ivy, I don't remember if it was Ivy or Lynette, but I was like, Hey, I'm Jesse from Absin," And whoever, whichever one I was talking to, she goes, Oh my God, I remember your application. It was so good. Mm-hmm. And they take those things very seriously. And so you have to, you have to kind of put your heart into it and then reach out, honestly, reach out. Uh, they always put you on an email chain with all the other women who get into speed mm-hmm. reach out to those women and try to team up with people and, learn these things together, because the more people you have to do this with, the more people with different skill sets and different sets of eyes you can get on your training, the more success you'll have.
1: Mm. So obviously you've done this a few times. What did you learn to do differently after your first year that you would have have done?
0: So many things. (laughs) Um, Definitely uh, it was a good benefit of like making it to the final round in the first year. Um, my approach to the dealers choices year was exponentially better, um, wildly different. It felt the first year that I did it, um, it felt like chaotic trying to think of two cocktails to give the judges based on like you also have limited ingredients, like the sponsored ingredients to make all the other cocktails. And so I think that's one of the biggest biggest differences in, in how I approach those dealer choices and actually how I approach, various things. So like the way I approach the dealer's choice now versus I'd say the first year I did it, it was just chaos. It was like me trying to think of something really fast and it was okay. And I wasn't really organized. And this year it was super organized where I literally took the two cocktails that they asked us to make, which was a Rome with a view, which um, equal parts Campari and dry vermouth, one ounce each, and then lime juice, simple syrup, soda, delicious aperitif cocktail mm. and a Ramos and Fizz. And I basically used the format or the ingredients in those cocktails to make my other two dealers choice. So I made a, we were asked for a spritz cocktail that was not dry. And so I literally took the exact same proportions and build of the Rome with a view and made a spritz. And <laughs> so instead <Nice>. of, <laughs> instead of Campari and dry vermouth, I did Singani and Blanc vermouth lime and simple in both instead of soda water i put some prosecco on top and um i actually muddled well i didn't muddle i crushed them up in my hand but threw some raspberries in there because they definitely look for complexity Mm. so this cocktail that was a dealer's choice was so simple and so easy to make because i did the exact same thing i took a lot of the think work out of it which was super helpful and then the same for the ramos I had a, uh, I was already using gin and lemon juice in that cocktail. And so I used the second cocktail they asked for. um, I believe he asked for gin. I don't remember if he asked for gin specifically, but did it with lemon juice and then swapped out, obviously didn't do a fizz because that would have taken (laughs) way too much time, (laughs) but swapped out some ingredients so that there was less bottles in my rail. And so I had it. I didn't know what I was going to do, obviously, because you don't know what they're going to call. Yeah. But I had a better approach to it. And so that's definitely something that I've changed. Another big one for women that I didn't, I did not figure this out till this year. And I didn't have this as a plan beforehand. But they always tell you in prepping for speed rack, you can talk to the judges at any point and ask them questions. Mm. But when you're up there, and you usually get about 10 minutes to set up your well, and how you're going to do things, there's a lot of stuff going on. And you have barbacks to help you. But You know, sometimes they're like, I don't know what's in a Navy grog and I'm not sure you have all the ingredients and you're trying to figure out your well and everything. And it's almost impossible to be able to go up to the judges and ask them questions about your round because you need that time to set up. So I utilized all the bartender or barbacks this year that when they're like, hey, what do you need me to get you? I just told them, I was like, hey, I'll grab it. Can you go ask this judge if he wants his cocktail up or down? Can you ask this judge if he likes his cocktail more sweet or dry can you ask this judge if she wants x y and z and that was it made a huge difference in my organization and took some of the guesswork out of um, out of my out of my cocktails which made it made it great for me and um, that's definitely a big one that I recommend that to everybody who does feed rack now is utilize those barbacks to ask questions to the judges because the judges are always a variable like you might get one uh, One of the questions I asked because they called a godfather in one of the rounds. I remember Dale DeGroff at Nationals one year when I was there. Um, I don't remember if this was the one that I was in. I've been to Nationals uh, once as a competitor and then once just when I was in New York. Mm-hmm. And I remember him. They called a godfather, and there's a big, like, push to you should garnish all your drinks for Speed Rack. They want to see a really, like, complete garnished cocktail. But the godfather's not traditionally garnished. And so, you know, if you see a judge who's younger than the industry and, you know, they weren't drinking that cocktail in the 80s like Dale DeGroff was, they might want you to garnish it. Dale DeGroff is like, I absolutely don't want a garnished godfather. That's not a garnished cocktail. Mm -hmm. And so that was an easy one for me to tell my bar back, hey, can you go ask if this judge wants a garnish on their godfather? And it saved a lot of guesswork and it saved me a lot of penalties by knowing exactly what they wanted.
1: Yeah. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for for that kind of deep dive into the behind the scenes of being competitive. Cheers. Cheers. That was Jesse Lorraine. If you are interested in competitive bartending, especially Speed Rack, go for it. Just sign up. You will no doubt learn a ton from the experience. You'll be part of an incredibly supportive community. For links to Speed Rack and more, be sure to check out our homepage, u86.com. That's Y-O-U-R-E-86.com. And don't forget to hit subscribe and stay tuned for more. I'll see you next time.